Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Mason Skaggs. Hello. And we are, when is this, the fourth? Our fourth episode together? This is our fourth episode. Yeah, and our second where we're really kind of getting into the debate between cessationism and continuationism. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of finished up the la- the previous episode with just like the reality of like okay we just have to we just have to walk through First Corinthians twelve through fourteen we kind of yeah. laid out our preliminary arguments I gave my preliminary case for cessationism you gave your preliminary case for continuationism and now it kind of comes down to okay how how do we each understand what Paul is saying in First Corinthians twelve through fourteen yeah because if if First Corinthians twelve through fourteen didn't exist in our Bible, then there cer- there certainly wouldn't be much of a discussion anymore about this whole thing. Yeah, it would be hard. I mean, we could go to like Romans or Thessalonians, if the Ephesians, but it's just mentioned like prophecies mentioned briefly, right? Or one of the one of the gifts is mentioned in passing. Yeah, but tongues is kind of like the whole discussion of tongues really takes place. Yeah, from First Corinthians twelve through fourteen. Yeah, so you know it's a. I'm not going to lie, like, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is a really hard-to-interpret chunk of Scripture. Well, not for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got it figured out. <laughs> I, I no, mean, I don't mean that. Yeah. I, mean, I mean that for my position, it is, it's it's a more literal interpretation. Yeah. Like, it's the—in fact, I was going to use this later, but I guess I'll say it now. Uh, whenever you said we were going to debate, I was going to say, and let— the most clear command from Scripture win. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, uh, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but you you, it, you do have to be a little more nuanced if you're a cessationist. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll admit that. Yeah. I'll admit that. But then on my, my rebuttal is, well, then you have to, the continuationist has to see more discontinuity between Acts and First Corinthians. I won't consent that. <laughs> I, need, I need a few minutes to think about that. <laughs> okay. Concede to that. <laughs> anyway. Okay. 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 12. Now, I mean, most people are aware that kind of the back the backdrop to what's going on. Right. But is, talk, talk about it, though. I mean, it's—this church is—has all these divisions. I mean, at the very beginning of the book, you have some that are, oh, we follow Apollos, we follow Paul, yeah. blah, 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 and—, yeah. and Paul really just has to lay him straight, and he and he basically says, I think in chapter three, that you guys are just you're st- you're still like infants in the faith. Yeah, you still need to drink the milk in a sense. You're not ready for the meat. Yeah, uh, he really rebukes him in that way, and so they're just they think they're great, they think they're so mature, mm-hmm. they're starting to drift back to worldly philosophy and worldly eloquence and. You know what marked, I guess, the Greek culture and, and the culture of Corinth at that time. They power, power, and- which is, is something we run into today. It, it, there's a lot of there is a lot of uh, parallels parallels between the church, to especially like in America. The, yeah, the church Amer- in America. I'm talking about like celebrity Christian culture, a and, sexualized culture. Yes, Corinth was a sexualized culture, totally sexualized with all the temple prostitutes yep. and stuff. But especially even in like the uh, the hyper charismatic or prosperity gospel movement they're they're dealing with the same types of things where it's like you know, in Corinth they were if you spoke in tongues you were a higher class of Christian yeah or and if you if you were the most exuberant 
you know, showing signs and wonders, miracles, yep. then you were an apostle. Yeah. If you were an orator or had rhetorical mm-hmm. ability and eloquent with your words, oh, wow. And if people gave you their money. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, that was the culture. Yeah. And that, so they were kind of drifting back into that. Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he's he, there's so many rebukes in the letter. I mean, with, with their sexual practice, with, with, their, with the practice of the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. um, with their not... Uh, not distinguishing between men and women in, in the worship service. I mean, with the head coverings, I mean, that's a different discussion. We don't want to get into that. <laughs> Join us next time for yeah. our eight-part series yeah, actually, on head coverings. I actually have an episode on that text. You can go back in, uh, I don't know, it was probably episode number something, 30, 40, something, I don't know. Anyway, that's go awesome. back and listen to that one. Yeah, I will. If you want. That's awesome. <laughs> Mason's going to. I will. So then the Lord's Supper issue, you had some of the more affluent you know, in the in the the congregation, probably the more wealthy that were, you know, discriminating and and, yeah. and barring off in a sense the the less affluent and poor of the the congregation, and they were eating all of the the bread and drinking all the wine before and just dividing on that issue. And Paul's basically saying some of you are dying because of this. Yeah, like getting drunk on the Lord's supper. Like the Lord is judging you and He's killing you because you are you are dividing the church right huge issues yes and then finally after the lord's supper issue now he's transitioning into another way in which they're dividing themselves and it's on the spiritual gifts right yeah so that's the context it's it's a lot of correction it's a lot of rebuke uh it is paul was bringing up spiritual gifts not just as a a simply oh let me teach you about spiritual gifts right he's he's yeah he's doing that but he's doing it because they have it wrong yeah and the way he starts uh, chapter 12, it's uh, concerning spiritual gifts, right? These yeah. are, he's like, this is an epistle, so he's addressing specific things that, that Corinth is dealing with. Maybe they wrote him. Yeah. It's likely that they probably did write him. Yeah. Or, some, or somebody reported um, all of these things. But this, these are specific questions that they have had about the gifts are, are stuff they're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to remember. It's not just like Paul's just listing off everything he knows about spiritual gifts. Right. He's addressing specific things. Yeah. Are you reading, what are you reading, the ESV? Only the ESV. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm reading the ESV okay. right now, but I do. Yeah, have that's what I have pulled up. I know that, I know that there are, there's a couple spots where the NASB is helpful to look at as well. Oh I, yeah! I might pull oh, I'm up. sure you'd might... love to pull up the NASB. Yeah, yeah. Especially the, on the one... more, the more you know, faithful to the original right, yeah. Greek yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. No, I know for sure of one spot where the NAS, NA, NASB will be really helpful for your point. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you're aware of this? I no? do. Yeah. I know. But go ahead. Dang it! <laughs> you can use it. You can use Fine. it. Fine. Uh, anyway, I'll start from in the ESV. Okay. Because it is it is my preferred interpretation but mm-hmm. i'm i've been known to pull out a, a translation or two that is different me too yeah <laughs> yeah when it suits my my arguments yeah exactly <laughs> now he says now concerning spiritual gifts brothers i do not want you to be uninformed you know that when you were pagans you were led astray to mute idols however you were led therefore i want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, likely he is, he's saying that because, I mean, 
some could be claiming that, oh, you, you guys don't even have the spirit or you, you know, you don't have spiritual power. The right. spirit isn't manifesting gifts in you. Mm. And he's, Paul's probably just saying, no, you don't understand. Like if these people are saying Jesus is Lord, like they have the spirit. Mm. Uh, mm. And it's not just a matter of some crazy power. No, it's not just man, ju- not just what they're seeing as manif- like the big manifestation. Right, right. Spirit, yeah. So he's saying, hey, even the people that don't look like they have any cool things going on, yeah. they're confessing Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. They have the spirit. Right. And then he also is like, it's a it's a discerning instruction for them. So they can they can know even the people who aren't speaking in tongues, aren't you know yeah. no one can love Jesus and genuinely say Jesus is Lord and mean right. it from the heart right. without the Holy Spirit. And even the people who are doing because in they had the Oracle of Delphi who mm. would speak in tongues, who would uh, get prophetic utterances that were spot on sometimes, you know, mm. apparently, yeah, historically. And so they had pagan oracle oracles that they could go to. And he's saying those people, you know, I, th- I think through this you could say no one can say Jesus is accursed, right? You know, and, and be and, and be, actually have the spirit, right? Yep. So he's like, that's discerning the spirits. I right. think it's helpful. Yep. And it, you brought up a good point. Mean it from the heart. Like yeah. certainly you could have somebody say Jesus is Lord, but not really mean it from the heart. Right. That's, he's not talking about that. Uh, so then, verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all, um, them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So there really is a kind of a bit of a definition of what a spiritual gift is. Yeah. It is a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Yeah. For the church. Yeah. That's, a, that's one thing I always tell people whenever they're like, well, I don't, I want to pursue the gifts, but I don't want to, you know, I want to, I don't want to pursue the gifts and not the giver. I'm like, well, if you're, if you're pursuing the true spiritual gifts, the way the Bible lays them out, you are pursuing the triune God, the manifestation of the spirit. You're not pursuing the gifts in, in it just because you, you want to see something cool. Yeah. You're pursuing them because they exalt Jesus. The spirit glorifies Jesus. And points you to Jesus, even in the powerful displays or in the whatever the gifts are, the yeah. manifestation of the Spirit. It's how he shows up. Verse 8 then, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I think that's really important. Now, we don't, people debate, is this an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts? Probably not. Right. He's he's just laying out um, a variety of them. Yeah. And he even says that uh, there's a variety of gifts giving a whole kind of, you know, survey overview of different types just to show that, hey, all of these, the variety of them, the diversity of them, they're all coming from one spirit, the one spirit. Mm. Uh, And so there's no, I mean, right off the bat, you can start to, you can start to get where he's going in that, hey, nobody's greater than the other person because of his spiritual gift. They're all from the same one spirit. Right, right. Yeah, and he even says, "Who apportions to each one individually as he wills." So, who's the he? The he is the spirit. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, that's a kind of an interesting little Trinitarian thing right there. Um, what? For the spirit as a person. Yeah, the yeah. spirit as a person, man. <laughs> spirit yeah. as a person. Uh, so he, the spirit himself, chooses. He decides the gifts that you have, you know, whether you believe it's a gift or many gifts or a, or I like to think of it as like a package of gifts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not all like, oh, I I'm have the gift of an administration, and that's it. Right. <laughs> that's it. Well, I don't know about that. have a little bit of the gift of faith. Yeah. Maybe generosity <laughs> or something. Uh, and I don't th- – that's, again, I don't think this should be taken as like an exhaustive list. Like, okay, let me look through this and see which one I have of these ones. Right, because um, there's another list in Ephesians, right? Or is it in Romans? Oh, there's a list in Romans. And then, I'm thinking uh, of the list in Romans and then and they're then in, different. And then in Peter, first. We should figure this out. Well, right. and they're not, they're, they are they're different. Yeah. They are not identical. Right. The lists in, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, yeah. for sure. So, so yeah, I mean, what, what do we want to know from this? I mean, we're not going to really spend a lot of time on talking about all these other gifts and what they might be. That could be a different discussion. Well, I am interested in one of them for you. What's that? What do you think the gift of, uh, or like the, the utterance of wisdom or word of wisdom, word of knowledge? What do you think? What what do you make of those? I see that as more of like a teaching gift. Okay. Um, like preaching, teaching, things like that. For sure. Yeah. That's that's generally what I think. I think that's totally acceptable. I I have. This is the only time they're ever mentioned in this in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So we have to go elsewhere if we yeah. want to if we want to study them. Like I'm I'm more inclined to think like when. That all of the times when it doesn't really ex- when, like it, that it's a more of a re- revelatory thing, like when Jesus, uh, when Jesus, all the times he knows things about people without them saying it, all the times he like knows the thoughts of the Pharisees, knows the d- disciples' thoughts. Uh, those I'm inclined to think that that would be like a word of wisdom, sure, because uh, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. I, I I'm not totally set on that because I think that could also be prophecy. You know, the, yeah, yeah. Having you, that kind of revelation. He's obviously distinguishing them in this list. Right. I'm actually going to pull up a, a chart just for the fun of it. Cool. Here we go. Found the chart. So, yeah, the the there's four texts. Well, I mean, it depends on how you split them up. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. That's what we just read. This is from Thomas Schreiner's book. He then has a different list, First Corinthians twelve twenty eight, which is later on. But I don't, I don't know. I see it all going together. Mm-hmm. And then Ephesians four, eleven. Yeah, for the for the Peter text, I was thinking of First Peter four, um, verse ten, starting verse ten, ten. As each has uh, received a gift, mm-hmm. use it to serve one another mm-hmm. as okay. good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah. So he kind of is breaking it. It seems like he may be breaking them down just into two different categories, like speaking and serving. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think I think that's a pretty helpful way to think about them. Like all, all the gifts, whatever they might be, the diversity of them fall under those two categories. Yeah. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. And you even see that with... The offices of elder and deacon. Yeah, and deacon serving. Yep, and you can think speaking. of Acts six, where we think we have kind of the the start of the deacon office. It's called proto deacons, 
you know, Stephen and Philip are a part of that group where, you know, people come up to the apostles and they say, hey, we need help serving these these Hellenistic widows. And they're like, you know, find spirit-filled men to do this, but we can't leave the ministry of the word and right, prayer. Right, right, So right. that's clearly like their ministry is focused on a proclamation. It's it's focused on the word. Um, and then when we get to Ephesians 4.11, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, we're thinking, okay, these, these guys are the word, the word gifted guys. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Their, minis- their ministry is a ministry of the word to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then you have the service-based ministries, um, whatever, you know, administration, helping, mercy, whatever, however you want to classify them. But right. I think that's helpful. But yeah, so there's there's that. I mean, and it's, and then the, the text in Romans 12, 6 through 8, in that text you have listed prophecy, teaching, exhorting, service, leading, giving, and mercy. So no tongues there, no like word of wisdom or word of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe I would probably just put the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge under that as like a synonym for teaching. Speaking, teaching. Yeah. What, but he also, doesn't he also in this say, uh, no, no, he doesn't, he doesn't give teaching in this list. Right. So yeah, could be. Um, I, I, like I said, I'm inclined to think that it's a revelatory gift just because there's those uh, like when Jesus knows the thoughts of somebody or when Paul knows, uh, when, when Paul, or when they say the spirit, it seemed good to the spirit that we do this or that, yeah. or the spirit prevented us from doing this or that. It seems like there's this other category of like where they are, they are getting revelatory wisdom or knowledge from the Holy Spirit that's not natural. Yeah. And so I find that as a helpful category for that, but it totally, it could be, it could be for teaching and preaching, I think. Yeah. You know, it's it's a little confusing. I mean, that whole all that in Acts too of like, oh, the Spirit told us we can't go to Asia. Like, well, how did he do that? <laughs> <laughs> By a dream, maybe. By a dream, uh, it could knows? have been. Yeah. Or it's even like a reality of just Paul speaking in light of the fact that he knows that God, you know, is in control of everything. So it if there's be, a closed yeah. door, like, but we, he said we tried. Yeah, I know. Oh, right. So there could have been a providence. We tried. Yeah. We couldn't actually get to Asia. Like, let's just hypothetically say, modern context, I'm going to go try to reach some, like, Muslim country. Right. I get to, you know, the border patrol people or whatever. They're checking my passport. I'm at the airport in this country, and they deny me. Mm-hmm. They go, nope, we're not going to let you in. you got to mm-hmm. fly back to America. Yeah. I'd be like, okay. Like, God. I had this intention of going, but the spirit kept us from going. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So it could be that. Could sure. be something more actual, like a dream, like a vision. word, of, yeah. or like some kind of knowledge. Another thing, or another reason, I guess, why I adapt that meaning for word of knowledge and word of wisdom is it. It creates. It allows me to put stuff that I've experienced into a, into that box, yeah. which uh, we shouldn't do that with theology. Like, well, my experience drives my theology. So when I, but it is it is a helpful tool for me. Like with Spurgeon, Spurgeon talks about how. He would point at people in in the middle of of a sermon and automatically know, you know, uh, Charles Spurgeon would know what, you know, there's there's an example of him pointing at this little boy and he's like, those gloves you're wearing are not your own. They're your employers. And and he was right. He didn't he never met the guy. Another guy is like, you're you're charging an unfair profit and you're you're keeping your shop open on Sunday. And the dude was, and he was afraid to go back. <laughs> and Charles writes afterwards, uh, Spurgeon writes, he's like, 
I, this happened so many times, so so often. And these people would, uh, he basically writes that the people would then go tell everyone, like, this guy knows everything about me. It's all, It has to be God. And yeah. they would come back. So I would say that's either prophecy or word of knowledge, word of wisdom, in sure. my in my sure thinking. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know where I would put that. Like, I, I said, like, in, in our last podcast, I'd call that an impression or something like that. Yeah. But obviously impression isn't in the list. <laughs> to one, the gift of impressions. impressions yeah. <laughs> Does he do Donald Trump impressions? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that just, would be I have the gift huge. of just first impressions. I'm really good at first impressions. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody likes me the first time they meet me. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much the second time. Yeah. Very punchable face on yeah. this guy right here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, all that, all that to say that I don't know. I don't know what what that all means. Yeah, yeah, I that's mean, fine. There's a bunch of gifts. Yeah, spirit chooses who you, what you have, and there's probably more than are, than are listed. I I mean, you mentioned that, but there probably are because people have spiritual dreams. Missionaries have dreams. Yeah. Would that like pretty consistently? Would that be a spiritual gift? A dream that helps? Well, you? I see what I'm I'm what I want to kind of drill down on and be firm about is that. The Spirit does all sorts of things that we might label miraculous, right? Um, out of the ordinary in Christians all the time. I want to say that if that's like if you had that experience, great. I'm not going to outright deny that that didn't happen, but do we call it a spiritual gift? Is what I kind of yeah. want to emphasize. Yeah, like you had a vision once, great, but is that a gift that you have that you exercise for the common good, yeah. com- you know, consistently yeah. in the church, then it's probably not a spiritual gift. It's yeah. the spirit working in some right. way. I would agree on that. It, yeah. There has to be some type of frequency, frequency, yeah, and consistency for it to be considered a gift. I would say. Yep. So then we'll just move on. I mean, yeah. Verse twelve: For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So he's really, you know, emphasizing the fact that there is no, there is no basis for division among us mm-hmm. based upon our ethnicity, our race, you know, our socioeconomic status, whatever it might be. Yeah. We're all, if we're in Christ, we're all baptized. We have the same spirit. We have the same baptism. We believe in the same Christ. Right. We have the same faith. So there's there's no there's no room for division at all. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is... God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he cho- chose. If all were a single member, where would be, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. <laughs> I love that at the last part. He's like, if the whole body was a nose, where would the body be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would all be a nose. <laughs> and he said it. I'm sure when he was writing this, he, he did a voice like that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, I mean, he's, he had the gift of impressions. Yeah, yeah. He was always doing impressions. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, this—I mean, this is just such a good analogy and illustration to 
to illustrate this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, this illustration really illustrates well. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, okay. So to bring us back, the point is, I mean, again, he even reemphasizes the fact that God chooses what you are, what part of the body you are. If you're a, a if you're the nose, if you're the eye, if you're the mouth, if you're the hand, if you're the foot, it's because right. God chose you to be that part. And that, again, there might be, even in even in Corinth, and we feel it today too, a level of coveting or envying. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I'm sure some people are prone. I mean, this is the case today because everybody, we live in a, a culture now that totally elevates the leader. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you need to become a leader. You need to learn to be a leader and... and Let's put on all these conferences about leadership and write all these books about leadership, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And our culture has elevated the leaders among us, the CEOs, those types, and, yeah. and really just kind of worship them. And so you can even see the potential in the church of, oh, the pastors, the one who you know, can speak and, and preach and knows the Bible the best. Like we're going to elevate him as like this, oh, wow. And, and there might be some who envy his – his his leadership and right. his his ability to teach the scriptures and his knowledge of the scriptures and we have to realize that he's dirt too like he's a worm as well and yeah. the only reason he does what he does is because God chose him to do that he he gave him these gifts right they're not his yeah he i mean god made him that and that's what he, paul even says to the ephesian elders god you know the spirit chose you for this work yeah. So we have to realize that that whatever part of the body we are, it's because God chose us to be that part. Yeah. And That's good. every part is needed for the body to function properly. Yes, yes. So, Absolutely. I mean, if you're dissatisfied that you have the gift of administration, but you have it because you want some other gift that's more cool and hip. Yeah. Well, that's a like you need to realize like God has given you this gift. It's great. It's a gracious gift. Yes. And you need to steward it for the glory of God and for the sake of the body because we yeah. need it. Yeah. We need it. And grow in it. Yeah. Yep. We do need it. My wife is an administrator and she's she's amazing at it and she enjoys doing it. Yeah. And like that's I there's nothing I love less than the numbers and spreadsheets and stuff. So I mean administrators are de- are dearly needed and yeah. he's going to go on and talk about how like those those gifts that we, or those body parts that seem yeah. less significant, we actually need the most, yeah. and it's the same way in the body of Christ. Right. So verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, um, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker or are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our un- unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. Mm-hmm. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Mm. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to, that's something we need to preach to ourselves every day. Uh, you know, it's easy just to, to, th- to kind of silo ourselves in our Christian life. And if I'm doing good, then that's all that matters for me. And if I'm doing bad, well, whatever. Like, that sucks for me. But in all reality, when you do bad, everybody does bad. And when you yeah. do good, 
you know, that is good for the body. Like we have to realize that we are a part of the body. Yes. And when one part of your body's in pain, your whole body's in pain. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's right. just like you can't just go, oh, my, my face hurts, but man, my feet feel great. Like <laughs> yeah, you're not yeah, thinking yeah. about your feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's good. That's a big one on unity. This this really this is all about unity. And the whole reason I think he gets into spiritual gifts in the first place is one to instruct on the spiritual gifts for the sake of unity yeah. in the church. Yeah. So verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now that that gets, this is actually kind of maybe the first text where we get a little bit like, okay, what is he actually saying here? Yeah. Uh, we have a little bit of like a, a ranked list like that in Ephesians 4.11. Mm-hmm. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers. And there's a similar type of order here. Uh, Does he mean first apostles and meaning they are, should be elevated? Like they're better than all the other people? Uh, In what way are they they first? Well, I mean, I think the way that you and I probably both understand that is either he's making a list, like first I'm going to say this, and then, or it's... uh, there, there can be no church without apostles first. Right. The, Christ laid the foundation through the apostles. Yeah. So first apostles, yep. like, they're, they're always first. Yep. You uh, think of Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Right. So yeah, if they are, when you build a house, you lay the foundation first. Yes. You can't build the roof Yeah. first. That doesn't even make sense. No, <laughs> no. It's floating in air. <laughs> So that's probably how you we should interpret that. I yeah. think is first the apostles and prophets came. Right. Yeah. So first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. But this is so abused, man. Yeah. It's so they abused. they start to create the hierarchy of like, oh no, like apostles, they're yeah, they're better. Yeah. And, and start to the way create that this two tiered Christianity. Oh yeah, dude, super two tiered. Like the and the way that they the the way that a lot of Christian denominations uh identify apostles is like the person who has the vision from god for the building of the church yeah the person who's it's like the apostle is basically the leader mm-hmm. the western idea of a leader yeah you know the ceo the ceo of the church right and he has the vision he has everything, and so when it says first apostles, they they do mean they do take that to mean like he's number one, he's the guy. Yep. Prophets are after him, and somewhere down the line, you got teachers, you got preachers, which is that's that's why you see you get the kind of crazy abominations that we talked about in the first and second yeah uh, the sec- first and second podcast we did yep together because you've just got a dude who's supposedly hearing from God telling you exactly what's going to happen in the church and and he's got nobody over him. Right. I know. Craziness. Not good. Craziness. So I mean that's that's for the most part how I read it. I think it's really important to to just see the fact that he says are all apostles, are all prophets in in the 
the answers, I mean, he doesn't give the answer, but the answer is clearly no, 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 which is so bizarre that the charismatics who think that everybody should speak in tongues. The Pentecostals. Pentecostals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Pentecostal charismatics. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm charismatic. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Sure, everybody. sure, sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they would answer these questions, yes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so. the, they would ask answer the tongues question, yes. Yeah, like, yeah. do all speak in tongues? They all should, they would say. No, the way that they interpret that passage is really weird. They would say, Paul is talking about... Um, Paul is talking about xenolalia there. He's talking about other tongues, foreign la- known foreign languages oh, there. Oh, so they switch the definition. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. And Woo! they'll say, but he's talking about a heavenly language, a personal prayer language elsewhere. Oh. Right? Ooh, tricky. Yeah. <laughs> See, things are great. You can cre- basically create any any doctrine you want if you can just change the meaning of words and yeah. flip them around willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you preaching to yourself there? No, I'm talking to you. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, because of tongues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, dude, we're gonna get into that. Uh, okay. I'm gonna let Paul clarify for me in in just a little bit about what tongues are. Okay. Anyway, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. What do you think he means by that? I think the higher gifts are prophecy. He talks about, like the, the gifts that build up the body, the most are the higher gifts. Yeah. So, because because then he will say later he he does a reiteration of that same sentence, but instead of earnestly desire the higher gifts, it's earnestly desire the higher gifts, especially that you may prophesy, or earnestly desire this uh, that you the, may prophesy the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I think so, he means prophecy. So, what we're saying is that there's no like better Christians or higher Christians, but there are certain gifts that are greater in their ability to edify the church. Sure, yeah. And that that's not, again, we have to realize that that's not saying anything about, oh, you're a better person or right. a better Christian. Yeah. Uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, think of the parable of the talents even. Like, some he gives five, some he gives two, some he gives one to. Yeah. And God apportions these gifts as he wills. That's right. So... Moving into chapter 13, the chapter of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Mm. That's important. I mean, we have to what the what the Corinthians were doing is they were exercising their gifts in an unloving way. Yeah, and he, even though they were still exercising them, yeah, uh, and they still possessed them, if that makes sense. Yeah, the fact that they were doing it for self gain and not for love of brother is just totally like you've missed it. Yes, y- this is sin. Like this is bad. Now, I want to point out the fact that in this text, would you agree with me that Paul is using hyperbole here? Yeah. Yeah, he definitely he definitely is. I mean, well, he definitely seems to be because he says, if I have all knowledge and understand all mysteries. Right. You know, um, 
I know some people take that if I speak in the tongues of men and angels to be like the tongues of angels. He's talking about yeah, tongues there. Like they'll use it as a definition of what tongues is. It's like, right. oh, it's an angelic language. I wouldn't use that. I, I would say that's the weakest That's the weakest right. argument for, for a private prayer language, tongues. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Awesome. Okay, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith and hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So there's the there's the text that, I mean, we already talked about, like, when will these things cease? When the perfect comes? And we are, we're in agreement that the perfect is the second coming of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what do you do with, what do you do with... The pro- as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. You know, and then he's like, at the coming of Christ. What do you make of that? Well, I don't. I don't like necessarily read that it is saying that these things will will continue until the perfect comes. Okay. I read it as saying when the perfect comes, these things will cease. Explain a little more. Meaning, like it's not saying that these things will continue indefinitely until the perfect comes mm-hmm. but that we know that when it does come they're they're gone they're done away with for sure right. now i do have an i do have a category that that when when the second coming of christ is near the signs and wonders and miraculous things will start to have an uptick again when the end is near yeah when the end okay. is near yeah okay. so I don't I'm not like a I'm not a cessationist that's going to say they're ceased they're done for good forever until Christ returns. Oh okay, that's that's an interesting nuance for sure. Yeah, like yeah. I'm saying that w- when we get closer to the return of Christ, these things might start to happen again. Sure. And certainly I mean depending on your your view of eschatology and if you're partial preterist or whatever, a futurist, like I do believe that when when even the Antichrist is going to do signs and wonders and, and oh, yeah, miraculous baby. things. And if, and, and, you know, the all of a discourse says, like, if even possible, he'll deceive the elect. Yeah. Now, yeah. he's saying it's not possible to deceive the elect, but, like, his signs and wonders are going to be so amazing. And I keep in mind, like, I believe they're real. I mean, Moses was having a battle with these, you know, priests of, of Pharaoh that were doing real things. Mm-hmm. Like they were able to mimic in a sense or mo- like mirror some of the, the the signs and miraculous things that Moses was doing. Obviously Moses did far greater ones. Yeah, but they turned water but, to blood. Yeah, they were doing things. Yeah, they, I mean, they turned staffs into snakes. That's yeah. super weird. It's super weird. Yeah. It's not like it was a fake snake. It was a real snake. Yeah. But then Moses' snake ate their snakes. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But the point is, is that they were tapping into real demonic power. Yes. And we said in that one episode, like, this is why God forbids summoning the dead and all that type of weird stuff, because there's real power there. Yes. Demonic power. Yes. 
So, yeah, back, all that to say that I'm not one of the I'm not a cessationist that's saying that these things are forever ceased and, and done. Yeah, I, I do see a, a category or an argument that that when we near the return of Christ, when when the Antichrist is starting to, you know, reign or whatever, or right around that time, uh, these things could start to be given as manifestations of the Spirit again. Why do you say they should that that it would be around that time that they would come back? Uh, I think probably because, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know right off the top of my head. I think that when you look at um, Revelation, and I guess it would depend on how you interpret it, and you look at like the prophecy of Joel that 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 Peter says is is fulfilled at Pentecost. He then goes on in the same prophecy in Joel where he's talking about that your men and women will prophesy and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Clearly, Peter thinks that that's what happened at Pentecost. But then there's right after that, there's there's more to it. And it's like the sun will be darkened and da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And those seem to be much more like akin to th- signs and wonders and things that will happen when when the day of the Lord is, is really close. Yeah. And I guess... I see that like when the day of the Lord is near and all that is kind of going down, there will be an uptick in the miraculous. Certainly the demonic yeah, will be an sure. uptick in that and I think maybe probably to combat it. Okay. I'm spitballing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no. not super sure what I think about this. No, no, no. I, 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 I you, It seems like you're not, you're not wanting to totally just like – uh, once for all, their seat, their seat right. will never come back. I'm sure about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not okay. at all. Okay. Yeah. For sure. Uh, the, I think this. Even if you were to say like, like you're you're you're. Arg- I think you were saying that. First Corinthians thirteen eight through twelve. He's not saying they will all, all of them will continue up until Christ returns. You say it, le- it leaves some room for them to kind of some of them to die off. Yeah, I would say I think Ephesians four eleven through fourteen would, you know, p- when paired with First Corinthians that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, is that is Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. I would say, I think that, when paired with 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12, and the the one you just mentioned from Joel 2, yeah. uh, in the, you know, that in the day of the Lord, you know, he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and, and that people are going to prophesy, dream dreams, um, in the last days. Yeah. I think though that... Those are good markers for me, good enough, for sure good enough. I feel like they're impenetrable for me to to say, like, the gifts will continue, the gifts of prophecy, like Ephesians says, the gift of tongues, like Corinthians says. These will all continue up until Christ returns, because w- we have to look at why do these, why do they cease? Why does the gift of, why does the gift of knowledge or, you know, the gift of prophecy the gift of healing cease when we see Jesus because we're all made well. We there's no reason to even have hope or faith anymore because who hopes for what he can see? The faith we're not going to have a need for the gift of prophecy anymore because 
we'll see, we'll see God face to face. We don't need somebody to tell us um, what God has said. Right. Right. And so for that reason, I would say they must continue up until that point because they're for the building up of the church until he returns. They're to to strengthen the church until he comes and they die off. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think that, again, back to definitions, we we do realize that certain, certain, depending on how you, again, define prophecy, you have to... You have to agree that a certain type of prophecy from your position has ceased. Um, <coughs> inerrant, yeah, authoritative prophecy, right, has ceased, right, for sure. So then, so then, <coughs> excuse me. What? What is your argument then? If you're if you're holding to your your interpretation of this passage that these things must continue you said these things must continue these gifts must continue until right all the way up until christ returns yes so what is keeping you from being a guy who holds to open revelation well because it's pretty clear from the book of revelation from like from the commands we have not to add to scripture from there are no more there are no more inerrant apostles i don't even know that there are apostles anymore you know i i I'm not going to say that there's there's no gifting of apostleship anymore. I think some people make an okay case for it, like as church planters or as missionaries or whatever. But there are no, like it says in Ephesians, God gave the apostles and prophets in this time a, a unique role in laying the foundation for the church. Mm-hmm. And that includes the canon. Like, there has to be a... Uh, a firm foundation, a closed foundation from which the church can be built. And so to answer your question, because I think I was beating around the bush, maybe you asked, you asked, what's to keep me from being a guy who says like, there's an open canon if all these things must continue. Well, I'm not saying that apostleship has to continue up until uh, it uh, functioning in the exact same way up until Christ returns. I, I just am saying that the gift of prophecy the gift of the gift of healing i would say yes the gift of apostle uh, apostleship i guess i'm am i saying that right apostlehood i don't actually know <laughs> <laughs> but there i would say i think both work like prophecy doesn't there the in, there's no inerrant prophecy anymore as you know there's no inerrant apostlehood anymore apostleship anymore uh, so just because it functioned in one way in the first century and I'm not saying it ch- it changed uh, intrinsically in its in, in what it is, but it definitely doesn't have the same authority that it had yeah. in the first century. It can't, or else we'd have to be open, canon. And that would be a problem. For sure, it would be. Yeah. yeah. So I I guess that's what I'm I'm kind of like using that as like okay, there's room here. There's room to say that okay, Paul make is making this statement is writing this in a time when scripture is still being given, revelation, authoritative revelation is still being given. Sure. Uh, he makes this claim, but we're sitting here, you know, nearly 2,000 years later with the understanding that, but there is a point to when a certain type of prophecy, prophecy did end. That authoritative, authoritative, what Paul was doing right now, yeah, that did end. Yeah. When he was writing, it hadn't, it hadn't ended yet. Inspiration ended. Yeah. That's what I would say inspiration so ended then. B- 
and so an inspiration came through I mean in the Old Testament through the prophets, prophets the apostles. in the New Testament through the apostles yeah so that was an aspect of their gifting and all I'm saying is is that the way I read this if we if we necessarily have to to have an open or a closed canon we necessarily have to say okay aspects of those gifts have ceased the inspiration part the authoritative word from god you know thus saith the lord you must do this i've i've the lord has spoken to me and he says to you you must blah 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 mm. that's done okay that means there's room there's room for my my interpretation i'm saying that yeah these gifts don't it's not necessary that they be given in the same measure or in the same way all the way up until the second coming. Yeah. No, I would say, yeah, I think... Does I that think, make sense? I think that makes total sense, yeah. I've heard Phil Johnson, that's the guy, that's the Grace to You guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He has, he has mentioned, like, if, you know, everybody's a cessationist in some way, right? Because we, you know, every Orthodox yeah. Christian is a cessationist because we, we all believe that in a closed canon. Yep. Well... I don't think that, like what you mentioned, I don't think inspiration, like inerrant, there's no flaw to the prophecy. I don't think that inerrancy or authoritative uh, utterance is core to what prophecy even is. I don't think that that is like, I don't think in order to be a a prophecy, it has to be totally inerrant. It has to be authoritative because at the same time as Paul is writing this, there's women prophesying all over the place. They're not prophesying our authoritative, inerrant, once for all, you know, foundational stuff. And I mean, later on, we're really even going to read that Paul talks about when it two or three most at most should prophesy. And if one person gets a revelation, it's like, you know, you need to go up and switch places. Well, if one guy's getting an, uh, an authoritative, in, whole, you know, inspired, inerrant message, it wouldn't be right for another person to cut him off. And yeah, get right away it. So I'm saying, in- inerrancy is not is not part of what prophecy even was in the first when Paul is writing. I would say they the the apostles were functioning in a in we both agree the the apostles were functioning in a unique way that cannot be replicated ever again. Right. Yeah, we are in agreement on that, and and I'm saying that the Old Testament prophets too functioned in that way. I think so too. Yeah. Okay. This is this is talking about the Old Testament prophet then, and I've already said this, but this I'm just going to quote D. A. Carson here. He says, "Once a prophet was tested and approved in the Old Testament, God's people were morally bound to obey him. Yeah. To disobey such a prophet was to oppose God. If a prophet speaking in the name of God was shown to be an error." The official sanction was death. But once a prophet is acknowledged as true, there is no trace of repeated checks on the content of his oracles. Mm. So that is totally, that is different. So what I'm saying is the the prophecy of the Old Testament, if that's that, and I'm quoting D.A. Carson, then the prophecy of the New Testament is different. It has to be different. There, there needs to be in your position. There needs to be a shift in the way these gifts are, or what they, how they function, um, in order to have them continue. There's, there's not a discontinuity between how these gifts operated in the New Testament and how they operate today, for me. 
there's there's just a difference of there's no more there's no more inerrant apostles today. There's no yeah. more inspired apostles. No, I get I get that I get that. Okay. Well, I'm saying that that there is no category, and I'm going to be very firm about this, and Dia Carson's very firm about it. There is no category category for Old Testament prophet who once he passed the test and he was considered a true prophet where his words now as he's speaking from his prophetic office were were to be um had any potential for being mixed mixed with error okay. or or were just suggestions they yeah. were they were authoritative words from God Oh I I'm, I'm I'm for that yeah I think I think I I'm totally open to that um especially that that they they were the the words of a prophet were seen as the words of God. They were to be they were to be obeyed. Yeah, they were morally obliged to obey the prophet. All I'm all I'm doing is just saying that that that's why we are so confused. That's why this conversation is happening. Yeah, because in order for us to con- see that there is such a gift as New Testament prophecy that the Spirit is manifesting in believers. We have to fundamentally change what it is. We have to go from Old Testament where no mixture of error, there is no error, mm-hmm. you're either a true or a false prophet, to now a New Testament prophet, oh, you can err. Or you have to be taught how to, you you have to grow in this gift like all the other gifts. That was, that was never a thing in the Old Testament. Th- just like the apostles did everything, like let's, let's use the example of Peter who fell into error. Right. And then in in actual spirit-inspired scripture, Paul is rebuking him. Yeah, he's saying, and I had to correct Peter to his face. Yeah, because he, you know, was eating with the Gentiles, and then the Jews showed up, and he decided not to eat with the Gentiles anymore because he feared man. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, and Paul's like, you, you can't do that. You are being, you know, impartial here or mm-hmm. partial. Yeah. And anyway, and it's it's tarnishing the gospel. So that means that. Okay, an apostle of the Lord, Peter himself. He he can err, yeah, sure. and he can say bad things, wrong things, even. Yeah. So we have to distinguish a prophet or an apostle speaking the words of God mm-hmm. in their prophetic office because they received a word from the Lord, mm-hmm. or them just being regular dudes. Yeah, yeah, talking. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about Nathan, there's a reality of Nathan can still go, yeah, David, that sounds great. Right. But then he didn't say that because the Lord gave him a, a, a vision in that moment to say that sounds great. I'm saying like a prophet is is receiving revelation from the Lord mm-hmm. and they are speaking what they are hearing from the Lord, however that works. Right. They're speaking what they're hearing from the Lord, what the Lord tells them to speak. Yeah. That is authoritative prophecy. That's their interpretation of that, whether or not they have that, mm-hmm. is not prophecy. Yeah, I pulled up I pulled up what you're talking about with Nathan. Uh see so Starting in verse 1 in chapter 7 of Second Samuel, Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet. So he just came up to Nathan. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, 
go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. The prophet, there is a difference between the prophet just saying things yeah. and being a regular dude sure. with, with, hey, that sounds good. I, of all I know about God and yeah. about you, David, you, David and yeah. the law and all of this, the Lord is with you. And this, go this for is, it. Go for it, dude. I could see that, yeah. And I that's mean, what I'm saying. That's what happened. It wasn't he didn't receive a prophecy, a, a prophecy, a word from the Lord to say the Lord is with you in this. He just said from as Nathan the man, yeah, the Lord is with you in this. And, I think that's, and that is why then he had to receive a prophecy from the Lord, right? But the same night, the word this is this is a word. You know, think of how the Old Testament is. The word of the Lord came to him. Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah. The word of the Lord came to Nathan. Right. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. Yes. So there is the yes, yes, the yes. clear, you know, you know, um, whatever they call it. I can't remember the fancy scholarly label. There is a fancy one. Thus yeah. says the Lord. You know, whatever that's called, uh, to notify us that oh, a prophecy is about to be given. Right. Thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. I'm not going to keep reading anymore. No, it no, goes, no. yeah, it goes along. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is like, so I clearly see a, a difference between those two verses. Right. One, Nathan is just speaking as Nathan. Yeah. Yeah. Who ha- Who is a prophet. Yeah. Who is then, when the Lord speaks, he speaks through Nathan. But he didn't speak through Nathan when Nathan said, hey, the Lord is with you in this. That was just Nathan. Sure. And then the Lord, you know, revealed to Nathan that night. Thus th- saith the Lord, not yet, basically. Yeah, and I'm not like I you said. You see what I'm saying, though. I do, and I'm not totally convinced of what I was arguing for either. Like, okay. I, I just am saying there is a camp of people, you know, of scholars who are not at, off their rockers who argue that the prophecy in the Old Testament and the prophecy in the prophecy in the New Testament there is no discontinuity between the two, and. I don't think it's heretical to say that, that that it's not. Yeah, I would be I would I would be interesting to see that because it seems like I mean, historically speaking, these this wasn't much of a debate that was happening. I mean, historically cessationism kind of ruled the day. Yeah. But yeah. you know, once you have the Pentecostal movement starting in the early twentieth century and you have a rise of the charismatic giftings and, and the practice of all these things, yeah. then you have um What's the wave called of the third wave? The third the wave. wave, yeah, whatever. Wave where you have speak. guys like Piper and Grudem, and Grudem is famous in this in this whole debate, yeah, because Grudem's dissertation his his dissertation was on prophecy, right? And he argued that that there is a dif- there's a difference, yeah, yeah. So he, he Grudem is the one. He's a discontinuity guy for sure. Yeah, and yeah. he's and he's kind of the guy that's. I don't know, gave gave the continuationist the Credence. You know, the good continuationist <laughs> kind of like something to stand on a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Of how do we think about prophecy? How right. do we how do we, how are we able to have a close canon and yet still think that this gift is given? Yeah. And Grudem's argument is that it's different. Yeah. It's a different type of prophecy. It's, I'm more I'm more I am more attracted to that, to like Grudem's version of the discontinuity between the old and new testament prophecy um but i i i do think i i I do i obviously need to do some more research on what the the continuity view is between the two or just even even not even thinking about the new testament yet what is prophecy in the old testament right and come to grips with that yeah and then go okay now when i start to consider new testament prophecy there is a shift there's a shift 
Nonetheless, let's get back to chapter 14. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. All right, that's it. We'll do that. <laughs> so we'll desire the spiritual gifts. and Especially that you may prophesy. Hey. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but the utters mysteries in the Spirit. So I think this this is impor- important now, now that we kind of get into a, the meat of, of what Paul's saying, kind of where we might have disagreements on how we interpret this. Again, I always I always want to remind myself of the context. The reason why Paul is elevating prophecy is because is because well, one he's going to argue that it, it's a it edifies the church yeah. more than tongues yeah, uh, but because they have elevated tongues as like the premier, this is it. Tongues is the best. Yeah, if you speak in tongues, you are the best. And so he is kind of saying, no, what, what, what about prophecy? Desire prophecy, this other thing that you are not, that you're kind of neglecting, yeah. that you're diminishing. No, this is, I want to steer you this other direction. Right. Uh, so it might, so what I, all I'm saying is it might seem like kind of like Paul is doing with, with celibacy. Like, oh, I wish you were all like me. Mm-hmm. You know, he just said that earlier in, in the same letter. Okay, wait a minute now. Like that, we can, if we just read that kind of in a silo, we go, wait a minute. Should we just all be celibate? Right. Like, no, actually very few of you are going to be, truly have the gift of celibacy, whatever that is. Yeah. But the way in which Paul says it, and in the context he says it, if you're not careful, you can go, oh man, maybe I should be celibate. Yeah. And in all reality, you have to read it contextually. He's not really, he's not really saying, hey, be, be all like, be like me. Like everybody, be like me. Just stop. So how are you? How are you? How does that apply to the? So I'm saying that his his urging them to desire uh, the spiritual gifts, mm-hmm. and especially that they prophesy, is kind of like the, to steer them back to a me, a healthy median yeah. of like you need a diversity of the gifts. Right. Uh, desire all the gifts. Desire to see all the gifts in the church. Okay. Okay. Don't just focus on tongues. Yeah. Uh, and especially that you may prophesy, because obviously that was being neglected. Yeah. And there needs to be a correction. But two, because it, wa- it was a, a more edifying gift. Yes. Yeah. So, I, yeah, again, I interpret all this in the context of a correction of an overemphasis on tongues. Okay. For the one, because he goes right into it. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to, this is where the NASB is helpful. There's the the noun God there, uh, theos, is, we call it anarthris, meaning it's lacking the article. Okay. So when it lacks the article, it's probably not referring to God, like the God, God. So we would interpret it, the NASB doesn't translate it this way as speaks not to men, but to a God, lowercase g. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that the NASB yeah. uh, translated it that way. Yep. And that's because in the Greek, it's lacking the article. Huh. So usually when it's referring to God, the like big uppercase God, right? Uh, it has the article. I would say, but I think even if it, it was speaks to a God... 
I don't actually need this verse to make right. the case. Right. Yeah, this isn't the this isn't the place to It is helpful for the Yeah, it's interesting language. though. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth considering. Another thing to consider as we begin as we continue to read through it, this is an argument from MacArthur. Notice just notice that Paul can keeps changing between the singular a tongue and tongue tongues and tongues. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's great. That is something to notice. Yeah, that's I'm not really gonna, I'm ambiguous. Not gonna, yeah, it would be a really ambiguous way for Paul to make a make a like to make a point to the Corinthians. Yeah, they'd have to be really, really looking between the lines <laughs> to get anything out of that. Right, certainly not where uh, the the whole argument is resting. Well, on. <laughs> and but, but flesh that out for the listener because some people are going to well, listen to that and not know. MacArthur's argument is that whenever you see the the singular um, tongue, it's the it's the bad use. It's the neglected use of the gift and whenever you see him using the plural it's the of the proper use of the gift right uh and that's not necessarily uh an argument for cessationism no it's just saying that paul is is distinguishing a bad use and a good use that's not even john macarthur's like slam dunk argument. no it's not his slam dunk. <laughs> at all so yeah so for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to ESV says God, NASB says a God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Now, again, people look at that, mysteries in the spirit, and they go, oh, that must be, like, that's why they think, oh, that makes sense. Right. Because the tongues that, I'm, that I've experienced in the, you know, 21st century are, it's a very mysterious form of speech. It doesn't right. sound like any foreign language that I've ever heard. Yeah, right. And, but again, coming from my perspective, I'm saying tongues is known languages. Mm-hmm. Even a known language, when you don't know what it is, it still is a mystery. So if it was, well, so you're saying that even even if it's a known language that you're If uttering, you start speaking Arabic to me, right? It, whatever you're saying you. is a mystery to me. Right. Yep. So then what would you do with for one who speaks in a tongue, speaks... If if it's from your view, you're saying speaks not to men but to gods, which means that it could be this false sense of this false tongue, right? Yeah. But then he goes on to say, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Like that seems to be the true form, is what you're saying. Yeah, and I I'm not even gonna, you know, I don't even really want to worry about like the singular and plural verse okay. use of tongues. Okay. All I'm saying, if I look at verse two, all I'm seeing is that here's the deal. When, when whoever's speaking again, from my perspective, whoever is speaking this foreign language, when there's not an interpretation, mm-hmm. like nobody knows what he's saying. God yeah. does. God yeah. knows what he's saying. Yeah. Obviously. Yes. But nobody else does. Right. I would maintain the same thing. It's a mystery. Yeah. So I'm and not. I'm not. There's not much disagreement between us on that. Okay. Now, what about with uh, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy? What do you do with that now? I thought I already answered that. Did you? Yeah, I think so. You may have. Um, so, oh no, you, you you talked about how he's uh, he's correcting. You know, he's correcting yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, first, the Corinthians. But like. What do you do with especially that you may prophesy? What what are we to do with that now? Because that's, because this that's is for tough. us. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Okay. Yeah. Now we are not in the. That's where we have to really be careful to read this contextually. Yeah. And just as another example, to go back to Paul's teaching on marriage, 
mm-hmm. in the same letter. Yeah. Uh, he kind of he kind of makes this argument. I should probably just flip over, but I'm not studied on that passage right now. So I'm try- I'm going to try the best of, as I can based Go upon the knowledge that I have in, just in my mind right now. I straight up butchered some some, some Old Testament yeah. stuff just a little bit ago, so you uh, go ahead. Yeah, this is a little bit of just a hack job that we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so don't listen to anything we've been saying. <laughs> <laughs> Look into it for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you just read some books? <laughs> uh, but it, it comes across when Paul's starting to speak about marriage, like, hey, the days are short. It's, it's, oh, I know what you're talking about. Maybe yeah. don't get married. Yeah, type yeah. of thing. Live if as though you're, you're single. Yeah. Like, if and if you're single, don't get married. Yeah. If you're married, like live like you're single. Yeah. It's yeah. like what? <laughs> like that. What do we as the church today do with that? Right. Because it doesn't seem to fit the rest of what the Bible teaches about marriage and the good of it, and how we should pursue it, and how we should love our wives, and all these types of things. It seems a little bit out of place. Yeah. But there's a context. Scholars have kind of uncovered this. That there was actually during this time, the, the time that Paul was writing this, that there was like some type of natural disaster that just had hit Corinth. Something was going on, a famine, uh, something. I can't, I can't quite remember what the commentators were saying, but there seems to be an agreement among the commentators that something was going on specifically to that region hmm. where there wasn't food, there wasn't water, something. Okay. And that because of this, he says the present circumstances or whatever it might be, he's not talking about just generally living in the world. Okay. He's talking about something that was unique to there. Yeah. And that, that all that is, all I'm saying is that that is why sometimes Bible interpretation and application mm-hmm. is difficult. Yeah, sure. Because we have to ask the question, how does this apply to me today? Yeah, yeah. And how much of this is culturally or contextually constrained to that that specific time to those specific people. Right, right. Because this was a letter written to real people in Corinth. Yes. And yes, it's for us today, the principles here, uh, the, the, there, there are principles underlying all of this that we apply to our lives today, mm-hmm. but certain things might not be directly one for one. Totally. Well, and I think with the marriage thing, that's a good, you, you brought that up with that marriage passage. It is ambiguous and it's, it's a little strange. I think even Peter said, like, some of what Paul writes is confusing. Yeah. And so we we won't always know. But with this one, he, he reiterates the, he does reiterate the earnestly desire, the spiritual gifts that you, you know, not always that you may prophesy, but he, he prophesy, but he does say, like, don't despise prophecy, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So he seems to reiterate the same uh, prescription and instruction multiple times. So I'd say it's less ambiguous than the marriage one. Probably. Yeah, I would maybe get that. But I am saying that it's it's more unique to the situation of Corinth than than to our situations today. Okay. Like okay. like do you do you like we look at Emmaus and right. we don't have anybody prophesying in our church. <laughs> We don't, not that I know of. Yeah, like actually, we have no one doing that. I think I think that the Lord probably uses our our pastors to prophesy in counseling sessions, you know, to or gives them wisdom, gives them special revelation, or or not spe- not special revelation, revelation of situations to them as they counsel, you know, gift things sure. like that. And I think when they preach, the spirit's gonna manifest in a true church. 
whether or not you have the office set up for evangelist or prophet or whatever, he's going to, the spirit is going to manifest. So I think the spirit of prophecy probably manifests in preaching at, at the, at Emmaus. And I know lots of continuationists will even say that is what New Testament prophecy is, is preaching to which I would say, well, then why does Paul list teaching alongside prophecy? Right. That would be goofy. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to argue with it. Yeah, and that, I, and I'm not one who's going to equate prophecy with preaching. Yeah. Um, they're similar sure. in ways. One is, is yeah, saying thus they... Thus... <laughs> man. <laughs> Ugh. That is thus, thus, thus saith the Lord. There yeah. we go. Wow. Because he just got a revelation from the Lord. Yes. And, and the other is saying it because he's he's interpreting and ex, ex, exegeting the scriptures that were already revealed in the first sense. Right. Um, so there's a similarity, but I think they're different. All I'm getting at, again, is is that, uh, yeah, this, this just is a really hard thing to grasp. What does a church like Emmaus that we're members of do with especially that you, like, desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's difficult. Sure. I'm not going to—it's difficult. What do sure. we do with that? Well, it's even difficult for con- for continuationists. So. Yeah. I mean, so it is difficult. What does this look like? That's where I'm I'm going to—because it's not so obvious, and, and it's actually really difficult to figure out how do I apply this. Mm-hmm. It's probably, in my mind, best to lean on— lean towards the side that this is more specific towards just the Corinthians. Okay. In their situation. Yeah. I can see how you, you would you say You know what I mean? That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, back to verse 3 now. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Great. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, this is very interesting. Here we start to see that what Paul is saying is that when tongues is interpreted, mm-hmm. it's actually on the same level as prophecy. Yeah. And we could even say it is prophecy. And this is why going back to the, the prophecy of Joel is so in- insightful because Joel says when he gives this prophecy he's saying you're he he's he's saying that your your sons and daughters or whatever they're, they're going to prophecy yeah prophesy yeah and then when we get to acts 2 peter quotes joel and basically is saying that this prophecy of joel is being fulfilled mm-hmm. but they but it was tongues that they were speaking not they weren't prophesying. It didn't say they were prophesying. It says they spoke in tongues. Yeah. So, yeah. but people were understanding them. Yeah. So what that means then is tongues, when interpreted, is prophecy. Equals prophecy. That's fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah. What do you think about that? Tongues, when interpreted... Equals prophecy. Is on par with prophecy yeah. is what I would say. I don't know that I would say is prophecy because there's not enough teaching to say. But but Joel. You're, you're right. That That is that is compelling that you bring that up. Um, but 
I would say the, the when Peter's saying this is fulfilled in your hearing, the the Lord's Spirit has just been poured out. That's that's the main thing. Like the Lord's Spirit has been poured out, and, he's, and Joel says, um, "On my, you know, in that day, in those days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh." I think that's what Peter's getting at. Is like the this is what you're seeing. I know this looks weird, but this is what Joel said that you know the Lord's going to pour out His Spirit. Sure, I mean. I'm not going to give you that. <laughs> Scholars tend to agree that that Peter sees this as a fulfillment of Joel's. No, I, I would say they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. In that do. in that tongues is what the tongues of Acts two is what Joel meant by prophecy. I I actually haven't done any any kind of study on that at all. Oh, okay, and I've never heard that. Really? I'm not saying. Yeah, I've never heard it. But I'm 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 not I'm not saying that people I'm sure people say that it's it's a pretty good it's pretty compelling I've just never heard it. Oh okay okay doesn't I'll doesn't stop there then yeah that's all I gotta say yeah. about that it's compelling. So all all I'm saying then is is that's where I go. This tongues thing is it just it, it, again it's 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 interesting like what is tongues I think that if you if you equate tongues. When interpreted with prophecy, mm-hmm. in my mind, and maybe maybe I'm just out to lunch because I'm maybe reading through my bias now. It it seems to give more uh, evidence to the fact that the tongues of Acts, known human languages, is the same as the tongues of Corinth. Do you follow my logic? My logic is if if Joel, the prophecy of Joel, right. uses the word prophecy. Yeah. And then Peter quotes the prophecy of Joel at Acts, in Acts 2 at Pentecost, mm-hmm. right after the Spirit came down in tongues of fire, rested on the disciples, and they spoke in tongues. Right. And all the people from the nations heard them, you know, declaring the mighty works of God in their native language. Yeah. So, therefore, then, tongues understood by these people equals prophecy. Okay. Okay. Go to the go to First Corinthians. Tongues interpreted, or we could say tongues understood. Sure. As it was in Acts. Yeah. Equals prophecy. Okay. That's totally consistent. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got, I'm I'm following you. Following A, me? B. But the, I don't see how that helps your argument. I'm saying it helps my argument because it 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 shows us that what's going on in Corinth, the mm. tongues of Corinth, yeah, is not anything different than the tongues of Acts. Yeah, sure. And that sure. was, if we go back to our previous episode, that was my kind of big argument. Yes, I remember you saying yeah, that. that. Yeah, that show me, and you know, obviously you brought up that people distinguish. Glossolalia from Xenolalia or whatever, if I said that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm saying that was a later thing. Yeah. The Greek doesn't see distinction. There is no Xenolalia. Yeah. It's just Glossolalia. Yeah. So It's a later category. Yeah. So I'm saying that it seems like what Peter, what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians is he's assuming that the tongues of Corinth is the same type of thing as the tongues of Acts. Yeah. And if that's what he's assuming, 
then we have to have a we have to have a reality check and we go are the tongues that are being practiced today the same thing the same thing right well in i i could even concede that that you know if if everything you said is true okay okay that doesn't that doesn't prove that like say in Cornelius's case when there is no no foreigners around to hear they speak in tongues uh, that that doesn't prove that they that there weren't also things other than known languages being spoken by the spirit but that's just again we we discussed that last time did we that was yeah it's just bad hermeneutics. Oh, well, you say it's bad. Yeah. And I said, well, how dare you? Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what you said. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so rude. Yeah. No. No. This um, is not a good Bible interpretation. Well, you, you say that, but Paul is a good Bible interpreter, a, and he th- goes on he goes on to explain what tongues is in 1 Corinthians. Let's keep going then. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, and he's he's already done a bulk of it, which you kind of dismissed. What? He said, he said, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit, to which you have to find a way out of that, that term, by saying, well, that's contextual. Well, that, but either way, either way, there's, that is telling us nothing. Well, it's telling us, well, if, 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 if we take it at face value, it's saying the one who, the one who speaks in a tongue doesn't have to be understood by men, and he'll go on to say other things that indicate a private speaking in tongues is 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 an is a uh, a use for the gift of tongues. Yeah, we'll get to that. Right. So, but before that, I'm saying that a guy who's speaking in tongues who's uttering mysteries in the spirit and only God understands, that's not actually telling us anything about whether this is a known language a or known not. language or not. Well, he's not speaking to men. So, why would it be a sp- sp- uh, like why would it be a known language? All I'm saying is if I all of a sudden, let's just, we're operating with, I'm going to operate with my understanding of tongues. Okay. If I have the gift of tongues, hypothetically speaking, I could speak Arabic. Yeah. Without ever having learned Arabic, nor knowing what it is that I'm saying. Right. So I'm speaking Arabic, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to interpret Arabic. I don't actually know what I'm saying. Yeah. Nor do you because you don't speak Arabic. Right. God knows. Yeah. And then somebody who can interpret Arabic knows. Yeah. So what I'm saying then is that whether or not we're running with my definition on that verse or yours, either way, it's still a mystery. Okay. Well, then let's move on okay. to it and, and let him let's, – let's build let's It's build not giving it. us a really concrete definition. Not okay. nearly as concrete right. as Acts 2, which clearly says is – it, they, the they foreign are. people hear yeah, it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Not enough. Not enough evidence yet to overturn. Actually. Right. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay with that? Yeah. I'm cool <laughs> with it. We ended up talking for another hour and a half as we finished up walking through First Corinthians 14. So I decided that I'll split this into two episodes. So this is going to be the end of the first part. Then, and you'll have to wait another week to tune back into the second part as we finish up our our discussion of first corinthians 12 through 14 so hopefully you enjoyed it hopefully you learned something hopefully you're not too confused uh, we're certainly talking about some things that are hard to understand and apply to our lives today but thanks again for listening to the preach and persuade podcast if you want to learn more about my ministry 
with Ambassadors for Christ International, you can visit our website, afci.us, and you can, yeah, read about our ministers and what makes us distinct as an organization. You can also give a donation to help fund my ministry and help fund this podcast. But thanks again for listening and have a great day. Bye.